This is the 2009 Jack Straw Writers Program. Program curator Donna Miskolta interviewed writer Laura Hirschfield. You say you write to find your way into what's missing. If you don't always know what it is that's missing, how do you know when you have found that? Well, I think it's like a haunting in a way. When you feel haunted by something, there's a sense that something is there that is not there. And haunting, the original meaning of it has to do with returning home. And so if the person who's haunted is a sort of home, sometimes I think of my body as an empty home. And the thing that haunts me may try to come and fill that empty home. I love the word or the idea of inhabiting, which is connected to haunting. It's connected to home, house, but it's connected also to fully stepping into experiences, words, language. It's really important to me to express the sense of hauntedness. And when there's a haunting, the source of it will always be missing. Now you'll hear selections from Laura's live reading at Jack Straw Productions. The first thing I'm going to read is an excerpt from a prose piece that I'm working on in which I set out to find out about a character named Tula who appeared in my writing many years ago and I still don't know who she is. And it's called, I go looking for Tula and find my mother and my daughter. I am haunted by my grandmother's death. She died when my mother was a child, and when I was born, I was given two letters of her name. It's not the fact of her death that haunts me, though, but the silence around it, a silence that hung over my mother when she was a young girl. My grandmother died when my mother and her sister were away at summer camp. Their father decided it would be best to keep the death by suicide, a secret, and so he waited to tell the children until they returned from camp. When my mother and her sister got home, their mother had been dead one month. Their father told them that their mother had been ill and rarely spoke of her again. Her pictures were taken down from walls and shelves, and Sundays were no longer days for extended family gatherings. My mother, 13 years old and the eldest of three children, took over many of the household responsibilities. 20 years would pass before my mother and her siblings would speak of their mother's death. When asked about her childhood, my mother can call up only fragments, the ice skating outfits her mother sewed, a chicken coop in the backyard, her mother hunched over a film editing machine, splicing the home movies she took. My mother remembers so little. It's because of the silence, she always says. Like my mother, I mark myself by forgetting. My memory is slippery, a fish. The first time I fished on a family trip when I was nine, I caught a pregnant trout. The fishing guide squeezed its belly until pearly pink buds squirted into his hand. 
He let go the mother and held the eggs for me to see. In that moment, I decided never to fish again. But first, I watched him rinse his hands in the shallow water at the edge of the pond. The eggs floated. The mother was gone. I waited years before telling my mother why I wouldn't fish. I don't know why I believed it was so important to wait. I gave myself this rule, and I followed it. As a teenager, I wrote about silence, absence, and rules. I collected other people's family photographs from secondhand stores, cut them, and glued them back together. When a character named Tula appeared in my writing, I didn't know who she was. I tried to hear what she had to say. When I looked, she disappeared. I saw an empty fish tank, heard a refrigerator hum. I couldn't find her for years. When she returned, she brought me jumping beans and an empty photo album. She stepped barefoot in blue paint and left blue tracks across my kitchen floor. The trail ran out before reaching any door. Now I'm going to read a few poems. This first one is called School Tale, and it takes place when Tula and the narrator, my imaginary self, uh, are young girls in school. School Tale. The thumbtack balances point up at the edge of my desk. I place the pad of my index finger on the silver tip. Press. It's your turn, Tula says, when the teacher leaves the room. Sally Solomon, shortest girl in our class, has gotten up from her seat to feed the snake. Now, Tula loud whispers, like a grunt from some grown-up place in the back of her throat. I obey, place the tack tip up in the center of Sally's desk chair. I am bad. No one but Tula sees my cheeks heat, my tongue swell. I return to Rumpelstiltskin, remind myself I'm the best reader in the class. Bumblebee finds me, follows me, silver stinger shining from rump, asks me now, sting Tula now, winks at me, knows I know the sting will kill her, Bumblebee, who follows me out of my dreams and into my days. I am good. I am the eighth dwarf. I have the longest golden locks. I wear a red hood when the wind blows from the west. I did not eat the breadcrumbs even after many days in the wood. I am good. I am good. And... This poem is called Shifting North, and this one takes place when Tula and the narrator are older. Shifting North. North moved again today, shifted a few degrees east and south. I need to start measuring the changes. It's important to have proof. Tula said North is the least trustworthy of the directions. Trust me, but don't trust North, she said on Sundays. Mondays, she kept her windows closed. Mondays, she said, were not days for travel. 
Tula read about directional change in the Pacific, said the Pacific carves tongues in stone. Other bodies of water don't do this, she said. They drown tongues or eat them or spit them out. A philosopher said the wave reaches enlightenment when it realizes it is water. Tula sleeps in the shape of a wave and wakes on a pillow of salt. She grows lighter. She gets thirsty but refuses to drink. This winter, salt pooled at the back of Tula's tongue and on the face of her smallest compass. Salt is eating away at north and there are no Mondays this month. The truth is, I made Tula up. Some days I believe this, others I don't. For example, I remember the night Tula told me I'd name my daughter Remy. I remember the date on which she said I would die. She had a list of dates for everyone in my family, brothers and sister, father, mother, dog. It took the cartographer Marie Tharp almost a year to convince her partner of the accuracy of her findings. He didn't believe what she said about the ocean floor, the way it broke and aged, the way it spread, the way it shed. Was it the ocean or Marie he didn't trust, the seabed or the map of it? Her proof, not words, but a picture. Like Tula, I sleep on a bed of salt now. My children will tell you I'm at work carving a new map. And then this last one is called This Day. This Day. Ask me why I'm not wearing a hat in the cold, says my daughter. And when I do, she says, it's not cold. Ask me if I want sunglasses for the sun, she says. And when I do, she says, mama, it's night. She squints a smile at me, asks me how I could think it's day when it's night. You're a bad mother for me she says when I put her to bed. Kiss her goodnight. She falls asleep and wakes screaming. The lion, she cries, sweaty. A lion has tried to eat her. She couldn't get away, her body half real, half sculpture. For years I've dreamt of words inching out my mouth, the letters half air, half cement. I've watched them step silent and fall, block and crumble meaning. I remember my mother saying she never had a mother. This meant she didn't know what to say. When I go to comfort my daughter, she asks if her dreams are inside her body or out, and I watch my words harden into tiny sculptures between us, and I watch her sniff them, press them to her lips. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2009 curator of this program is Donna Miskolta. Music performed by the Bella Musica Woodwind Trio and recorded as part of the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore, 
Recording engineers are Mo Preventure, Tom Stiles, and CJ Lazenby. Narrator is Amy Broomhall, and executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, the Mayor's Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.